Let's, um, let's pray. Father God, um, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. God, we, we need to hear from you today. Lord, I want to hear from you. We, we want to hear from you. And so we pray that you would, you would speak to us today through your word. That we wouldn't just simply hear, but that we would that we would understand, and that as we understand, that we would seek to apply the truths of of your word to our lives, and that we would do it first and foremost for your glory. We also understand that it's for our good. But God, I know that probably many of us this morning are are tired and distracted and it's easy to allow our our hearts and our minds to wander and so I pray that you would just remove the distractions from us that our hearts and our minds um, if only but for a moment which, which really I think it's our desire that it would always be this way but that our hearts and our minds would be firmly fixed and focused on you Jesus we we love you and we thank you for your unfailing love for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So I was finishing up um, my notes just a couple hours ago when I, when I ran into a conflict. I'd, I'd finished my notes and it was time to, to grab my Bible that I would preach out of. And I remembered about, oh, six weeks ago, Maybe, maybe five weeks ago, uh, Ronnie said to me one Sunday morning, I had my iPad in my hand, and he said, tell me that's not your Bible. Remember that? I remember that. And I said, no, it's my iPad. And then two weeks ago, Ronnie said, you know, I'm, I'm teaching or preaching out of the New King James, but I can switch if I want to. And so last Sunday, I said, well, if, if he's going to preach out of the New King James, then I'm going to preach out of the New American Standard. And then about... And so I did. Last week I taught out of the New American Standard. And about three nights ago I had this dream. And I, I dreamt that I was preaching this morning out of the New American Standard and none of it made sense. Like the words didn't, none of it worked. And I woke up thinking, what am I going to do? And so this morning I had finished my notes and I thought, no, you know what I'm going to do? Is I'm going to preach out of the New American Standard from my iPad just to be rebellious. Um, <laughs> But alas, I'm a creature of habit, so I am preaching out of the ESV this morning. So if you have an ESV, it might be easier to follow, uh, follow along. Um, just to give you a brief um, kind of summary of, of where we've been, we're in Acts, or I'm in Acts, okay? And uh, the last three sermons that I, I preached, um, and I'm in Acts chapter 2, we're finishing Acts chapter 2 today, and the last three sermons that I, I preached, I had titled Peter's Pattern for, for Preaching. And so we pretty much examined the bulk of, of Peter's um, sermon in Acts. And we, we examined his, his method and his content um, as a pattern that we should be following. And then we also examined uh, the, the results, if you will, in the gospel call that came forward um, from that. And so today we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, verses 42 through 47. I, I titled it Church Life. And what we have in these, these verses, which, let me say this too, God's timing is perfect, right? I mean, Randy and, and Ronnie, you've been going through this on Wednesday nights, this, this, this study we've been talking about, the church, right? And it just so happened that, that today of all days, um, just from a timing perspective, we're looking at Acts 2, 42 through 40, 47, which ties in perfectly, I think, to, to our merger and, and what we're going to be doing with membership here just shortly. It ties into what Randy and Ronnie have been, been teaching through on Wednesdays. And again, so I think that God's just timing in, in this is evident, His sovereignty in this, and providence is evident, and, and it is and it's perfect. And, and for that, I'm, I'm grateful. But in Acts 2, 42-47, what we have is we have a picture of, of the early church, right? It's a very practical text. We're not getting into some real deep theology or anything like that today. But we have this, this picture of... Uh, if you will, early uh, church life. It's, 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 understand this, it, it is descriptive. So if someone says, well, what did, what, did the, what did the early church do? What did the first church do, right? 
We can go here to Acts 2, 42 through 47. We can see what they were devoted to, right? We can see in part what body life looked like. But we need to understand that, that this passage isn't simply descriptive. I mean, it is descriptive. Yes, this was what the first church was committed to. This is what the first church uh, looked like, what they did as, as a body. But we need to understand that it's also prescriptive, right? What, what should, in part, and I'll say in part, right, um, in part, what should, what should the church look like today? What is a church, right, us here, local church, Sovereign Grace Bible Church, what should we be, in part, devoted to, right? Um, what should, to a degree, body life look like? Okay. Well, we've, we've got an answer to that, right? We can, we can come here to Acts 2, 42 through 47, and, and we can see not only what the first church right, was committed to and, and, and lived like, but what we as a church should as well. So if you would, turn with me to, to Acts 2, and I'm going to read 42 through 47. I kind of broke it down just as you're turning there. Um, I broke it down into kind of three points. I tried, uh, for Randy's sake, I tried so hard with this alliteration, three, so all the, the words and letters all sound, I can't do it. I, I mean, I tried for an hour. I'm looking through my thesaurus just to make it work, and so it doesn't exactly work. But I'm going to give you these, these points, um, and then I'm going to read. Um, we have the commitment of the church, Okay. Um, and that's verse 42. We have the community of the church, and that's 44 through 47a. And then at the end, I have the growth of the church, and that's 43 and 47b. And I think it just works out to have it organized like that. So that's what we're going to be going through and looking at this morning, uh, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So again, in, in verse 42, we see the, the commitment of the church. What were they devoted to corporately? What was, what was that body, right? What was the church devoted to? And the first thing that we see listed is that they were devoted to, it says, the apostles' teaching. And I'm going to add preaching in that as well because we know that pastors are, are, are pastor teachers. They're preachers and they're, they're teachers. The apostles were, were preachers' teachers, right? The church was committed to the preaching and teaching and the hearing of God's word. Now, unlike the first century church, um, we don't have the apostles directly to teach us today. Right? I mean, there are some people out there that think they're apostles, but they're not. They're false and heretics. Okay. Um, we don't have the apostles today to directly teach us, okay, or preach to us. But what we do have is we have their source material, don't we? We have this, right? And so we have God's word. And to a degree we have, right, we could say the apostles' teachings and the apostles' preaching, right? Um, but ultimately we know that that's God's teaching, right? And that's God's message for us. And so even the first century church, when, when, when Peter would preach or Paul would preach or they were in, in, a, in a home and so-and-so, one of the apostles, John, was, 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 was teaching, right? I mean, what were they teaching? Were they, again, they were, they were teaching and preaching God's word. It wasn't, it wasn't their word. And so we have, as a church today, the same thing that the early church had then. Now, we know that it's the pastor's, right, responsibility, in part, to teach and preach the word of God, right, to the people of God. Uh, let's look in 1 Timothy just to be reminded of, of the responsibility that pastors have in this regard. So we'll, we'll start in 1 Timothy, and we'll look at 1 Timothy. Um, I'm going to read 1 Timothy 4, 12, no, 4.13, sorry, 1 Timothy 4.13, this is Paul, right, 
Apostle Paul talking to Pastor Timothy here, and he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. In 2 Timothy 2.4, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, right? Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Well, if it's the pastor's responsibility to, to teach and to preach, it's obviously someone else's responsibility to be what? To be the, the recipients of that preaching and that teaching, and that's, that's the church. And we also need to understand that, that pastors are, are a part of the church. Okay. And I, I, look at it, I look at it this way. Um, first of all, I think that when I, I prepare a lesson or I prepare a sermon, I probably gain more out of it than, than you do. I mean, I, I don't want that to be so. I wish we all could just extract as much from it as possible. But every, every Sunday that I, I teach or I preach, I, I feel like there's so much more that I, I want to say. There's so much more in this text, but we only have a limited amount of time to do it. And, and, and so for the sake of, of, of honoring the time that we have, we try to be as clear and as concise as, as possible, though there's, so, though there's so much more, right? But even, even that, on those Sundays that I'm not teaching, I'm not preaching, right? I'm, I'm out there with you. They're out there. We're out there with you. So we're part of the church as, as well. So not only as your pastors are we teaching and we're, are we preaching, but we're also being recipients of, of the word as well as you are recipients, right, of the preaching and the teaching of the word, Romans 12, 2, I think, also speaks to the church's responsibility to feed on the Word of God. And again, we're talking about corporate here, right? Um, so Romans, Romans 12, 2. I'll, I'll just read one um, Run one and two. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay, here it is. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and, and perfect. How do we do this? I mean, how, 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 how as believers, right, can, can we be transformed by the renewal of our, our minds so that we can, we can do these things, right, that we can discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect, right? It's, it's through what? It's through the washing of the word privately, right, but also, also corporately. If we're not washed in the word, if we're not in the word, if we're not hearing the word, right, if we're not reading the word, right, if we're not being recipients of, of, of preaching and teaching, right, and there's no way that our minds can, as Paul addresses here, be, be renewed. Okay? So the responsibility of, of, of pastors to, to teach and, and to preach, and we know that we have other teachers in the church as well, but also the responsibility of the people of us, right, to be recipients of that. So we see that the, the first church was committed to the teaching and the preaching and the hearing of God's word. Also, it says in Acts 2.42, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Um, Fellowship here specifically refers to to spiritual fellowship. There there are types of fellowship, right? Referring to spiritual fellowship. Um, Fellowship focused on Christ, who he is, what he's done, and, and what he's doing. This fellowship... That, that's being referred to in, in verse 42, right, would include praying together, right, um, worshiping together, discipling one another, right? Uh, Hebrews 10, 24, I think gives us a, a, a brief glimpse of, of, of what this would, I guess, in part include. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and, and good works, right? Encouraging, spiritually encouraging 
one another. Not just, wow, you look really nice today. Have you, you know, dropped five pounds? That's, that's great to encourage people. But that's not the type of encouragement this spiritual fellowship would include, right? Iron, sharpening iron, right? Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Iron sharpens iron is what one man sharpens another. So this fellowship that they were in part committed to, as we see in verse 42. Now, later on, we're going to see another type of fellowship being addressed, but specifically spiritual fellowship, okay? Also, they were committed to, it says, the breaking of, of bread, specifically the Lord's Supper. That's what the breaking of the bread here in verse 42 is referring to. They were committed as a church to observing the Lord's Supper, just as we observed just moments ago. Okay? Um, listen, this is, this is a command. Okay? First Corinthians 11, just to be reminded of this. And I'm going to read 23, um, 24, and 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right? It wasn't just like a one-time command, do this in remembrance to me, to those apostles that were with him that night, right? This was a command not just for them, but this was a command for us as well, okay? And also in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, right, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right? This is a a command that is supposed to be ongoing and fulfilled, right, in the life of the church, not like, oh, we did that, right, once as a church, like 10 years ago, right? No, this is something that that as a church we're, we're commanded to do regularly, and as a church, the, the first church was committed to doing this regularly, just as we as a church are committed to the Lord's Supper and the observance of the Lord's Supper regularly. Now, here's what I don't know, okay? Now, maybe there's history books out there that, that have this information that I probably are. I'm just not aware. I don't know how often that they did this. I suspect it was, it was probably um, fairly often, but what we do know from Acts is that for the first century church, right, as it should be for us, observing the Lord's Supper wasn't just simply done out of duty. I mean, yes, there was a duty to, to observe it. They were commanded, just like we're commanded, right? So, so in a sense, yes, we do have a duty. We have a responsibility to obey and to observe the Lord's Supper. But we need to understand for them, as I pray it is for us as well, it, it was also a delight. They delighted in reflecting upon Christ's work, right? They delighted in the spiritual nourishment that they received, and they delighted in glorifying God through their obedience. So in the case of, especially in all of these that we're looking at, the devotion that the first church um, uh, displayed, right? It also denotes delight, right? They delighted in all of these things. The church delighted in being recipients of the word. They delighted in participating in this this spiritual fellowship among the believers. They delighted in the observance of the Lord's Supper, right? And they delighted in prayer. They were committed to prayer, right? They were committed to corporate Prayer. We know that, that we are commanded, right? First uh, uh, Thessalonians five. Um, let's just let's just read that. We're commanded to pray. We're expected to pray. First Thessalonians um, so five sixteen and eighteen. Okay, 16, rejoice always, pray, what, without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What does that mean, um, to pray with, without ceasing? I, I know some have heard this story, but I'm going to tell it again and some have it, because I just, I love this story, because I think it illustrated for me perfectly 
what it meant and what it means to pray without ceasing. I can remember as a young boy, um, and my father's always been like a, an early riser, you know. Of course, me, I, I don't like to get out of bed if I don't have to, and so I'll wake up and I'll stay in bed as long as possible and fight the day as long as possible. And, and I can just recall in moments like that, laying in bed, and my dad be out in the kitchen, you know, cleaning, and you hear dishes clanking, and, and I'd hear him, you know, hear him talking, right? But it wasn't like necessarily coherent talk. I mean, it was more like stream of consciousness, you know. You'd hear, oh, Jesus, something and something, something, and he'd be something talking about something. And then he'd have some other thought that he would just be like, uh, uh, you know, uh, protect them. And just just, this kind of what almost seemed like babble to me back and forth, right? And I'm like, he's older than I am. He's losing it. You know, old people do. They just, you know, they lose it. Or you'd be driving in the car with him. And just out of nowhere, he'd be like... Lord Jesus. I mean, maybe that's all he'd say. You know, he's probably more going on in his head, but that's the only thing that I'm getting. And I'm like, what is wrong with him? Right? Until one day I realized this is, this is praying without ceasing. He's going about his day, right? And as things are on his mind, as things are on his heart, he's, he's in and out communicating with God. Right? He's, he's praying without ceasing. And the funny thing is, is I find myself doing the same thing. And when, I, when, I, when I'm aware of it, you know, I might be driving, driving down the road. And just, I don't know, uh, one of you just, just, just pops in my mind. And I'm just like, you know, oh, Jesus, I just, I, I just, Jesus, I, I pray for the mills that you would just, just help that baby grow. And just out of nowhere. And I'm thinking, my kids probably think I've lost mind they're like where did that come from right but that's praying without ceasing right they were committed to prayer they were committed to to corporate prayer um here's the thing how is a how is a body can we be committed to prayer if as individuals right we aren't we aren't living this life if we aren't as individuals praying people then, then what would make us think that as a body, right, that, that we're praying people, right? So as individuals, we need to pray without ceasing. And, and as a church body, corporately, right, we need to do the same thing. I want to address that just momentarily. What, what does corporate prayer look like? I mean, I think sometimes some of us in our minds have this picture of the, the old prayer meetings, right? We've done that here before where we've gotten together um, and we've, we've, I mean, it's all we did on a Wednesday night was requests were brought forward. We had praises, we had, we had prayers, we had, had petitions, we had all, all these different things. And as a church, um, we, just, we just prayed. People would start praying and someone else would pray and someone else would pray and someone else would pray and someone else would pray. And, else would pray. and, and we would go through and we would do that. And that's, that is a picture and an example of corporate prayer. We don't do that often, right? But that doesn't mean that as a church, um, we don't pray together corporately. Listen, when, when, someone's, when someone's praying, right, be it um, Randy after he opens with the, the, the Puritan, whatever he's reading, okay, or, or the individual who just read scripture and is praying, or uh, one of your pastors, when we're praying before we preach or after we preach, or if it's Tim or, or um, Paul or whoever is dismissing us in prayer, right? That, that person is doing this. They're not just simply praying, but they're leading in prayer, all right? So when one person is, is praying in the group, right, as a church, we should be joining that person in prayer, Right? We shouldn't be, okay, he's going to pray, and I'm going to, in my mind, go over my shopping list at Walmart, what I need to get as soon as we're out of here. Right? No, no, no. We're to be with them, joining them in prayer. Right? God can handle it. We can all be praying at the same time, joining them in prayer. Right? God can hear all those and sort all that probably craziness out that's going through our minds, and that's what we should be doing. I love it. I love it when one person prays. I'm not saying do that. I mean, I would never want anyone to do this like artificially or, or superficially or just, just because that's what you're supposed to do. I wouldn't want that. But, but when one person prays and you hear murmurs, right, throughout the, the room or the group, right, where someone's, you know, yes, 
Lord. Mm-hmm. Right, that person is, is joining them in prayer. Right, that person is praying as they are, are praying. They're petitioning God for the same thing. They're praying God, praying, uh, praising God over, over the same thing. So in part, I think probably what's normative for us is that's, that's how we pray corporately. And there will be times when we get together again and we, we, we pray as a group. And that is one person prays and another person we go through and we do this. And some people aren't comfortable praying out loud with a group in front of a group. And that's, that's okay, but that doesn't mean we don't join them and we don't, we don't pray together with them, right? And so the first century church was, was devoted to corporate prayer, right? Because they were committed to private prayer as well, just as we as a church, right, must be committed and devoted to praying individually, right, and bringing it here and praying together corporately as well. Okay, so... And, Acts 2.42, we see the, the commitment of the church or, or, or the devotion of the church. And in verses 44, like I said, we'll get back to 43 at the end. I think it'll, it'll fit in appropriately. But we're going to look at 44 through 47a. And here we have the, the community of the church, corporate, really, activity. Right? I, I wrote in my notes, I say, uh, they were a, a blank church. right? And we're going to see that they were a caring church. They were a worshipful church. And they were a, a fellowshipping church church. And so in verses 44 and 45, we see that they were, uh, I use the word caring, a, a caring church. It says, and all um, who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, now listen, this isn't describing communal living, okay? Um, and it's not advocating uh, a communal living. I mean, there, there are some people that, that throughout history and still today, have twisted this passage to advocate like some sort of like Hutterite, right? We were talking about that the other day. Someone, I don't know who was here and we were doing that, but some, some, some communal living where they just live in this kind of commune, everybody shares everything, nobody has personal ownership or possession of anything. That's not what they did and that's not what's being advocated. Um, so what are we talking about? We're talking about the church taking care of its own by whatever means available and whatever means necessary. Right? So there was a need in the church. Someone had a need, a physical need, right? And there was another member of that church that had the means to satisfy that need. Oh, you guys need, you need clothes? Well, we got clothes. So we're just going to bring our clothes over and we're going we're gonna to give them that, that clothes because we don't need that clothes. They need that clothes, Right? Oh, you, you've, got to, you've got to pay Caesar? That stinks. You don't have any money to pay Caesar? You know what? I've got some land that I don't use and I don't need, so I'm going to sell that land, and um, I'm going to give you that money so you can, you can pay Caesar. Right? I mean, it, was, it, was, it was the church taking care of, of one another. Now, this doesn't advocate necessarily enabling. I mean, you have someone in the church that's you know, maybe struggling with some... Some, some sort of addiction or some sort of like poor spending choices. Right? We're not talking about enabling sin or anything like that. But we're talking about where there was genuine, legitimate need, right? And uh, uh, ability to meet that need, right? Well, what was the church doing? The church was doing whatever was necessary, right? To stand in the gap, if you will, and to meet those needs. Um, in 2 Corinthians, um, uh, let's, let's just flip over there real quick. 2 Corinthians eight thirteen through 14. We've got Paul here, and he's encouraging the church to show, to show generosity with, with one another. Um, 13 and 14 of, of chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that, that there may be fairness. Again, so, you know, Paul wasn't advocating communal living, right? Again, he was advocating the church taking care of one another as there were needs, right? And as there were, or as there was the ability, right? And we even saw that kind of with Ananias and Sapphira, right? I mean, now that was, a, I mean, that story ended bad for them, didn't it? But they weren't, they weren't required to sell that land, right? They weren't required to sell that land. There were needs, Right? And so they were going to sell that land to meet those needs. However, they handled the situation less than honorably and wind up paying for their actions with their lives, right? 
But again, just to demonstrate that it's not advocating communal living, okay? But the church was taking care of itself, right? And as we see that in the first century church. Also, right, it says they were a, what, they were a, a worshipful, I guess, church. Um, day by day, then day by day, this is verse 46 of uh, Acts 2, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, right, and having favor with all people, right? Um, they went to the temple daily to pray with one another, right, to evangelize, to fellowship, and, and to worship. This is in part, right, what we do when we gather together on Sundays and Wednesdays. Now, listen, this isn't, this isn't the temple, right? I'm not going to call this a sanctuary. This is just, this is 317 West Main. It used to be a pool hall, okay? Um, this is just simply the dwelling where the church, the church meets, right? Um, we don't have a temple today, right? And we don't live in this semi-agrarian culture and society where everyone lived close and, you know, temple life was a part of life. So it, it does and it is going to look differently, right, um, for us as it did them. But that doesn't change, you know, um, the fact that we should be as committed to worshiping together as a local church as the first century church was. It's just going to look differently. It's not going to be every day, right? In our cases, we meet on Wednesday evenings and on Sunday mornings, and then we meet other times uh, for special occasions and, and, and special events, right? Um, but listen, this we should take very seriously, right? Um, and they met, they met daily. Daily they met. And they were committed to meeting together daily. And some of us, it's as if it's a burden to meet together for one hour once a week. Well, I, I mean, do, do we really have to? I mean, is it really? I mean, we just kind of do our, our home, home thing. I was talking to a, a, a friend and a coworker earlier this week. And he, he's, a, he's, a, I mean, he's a theological train wreck and a mess, and I don't know that the guy's a believer. Um, and I had asked him, you know, you guys attending church anywhere? I mean, are you, you're not a part of a church, right? But are you, are you, are you attending, you know, a church somewhere and... He's like, well, you know, we're, we're pretty much doing our own, our own home church thing, you know, not like home church, like we've got several families meeting in homes and we're doing it like, like, like family home church, like, oh, it's just my wife and my kids and I, and we'll sing a song and read a little scripture and that's, you know, we're doing church that way. I'm thinking, you can't do church that way. How do I know you can't do church that way? Because we have an example right here of the first church and how did they do church, right? This is how they did church, Right? So, which begs the question, if, if we don't, or a body of people doesn't do church like we have in this example, then I think we really have to ask, is it, is it a local church? And it doesn't mean they're not believers, but does it actually qualify as, as being, a, as being a, a, a church, right? I mean, if you have a group of people that, that are Christians or claim to be Christians, and they're not committed to the teaching and the preaching, of God's word, are they a church? No, they're just a bunch of Christians getting together that aren't committed to preaching and teaching God's word, right? Um, if you have a group of people that meet together, right, and well, they do a little bit of teaching, but but they never observe the Lord's Supper together, and spiritual fellowship, well, that really doesn't exist. They just talk about football and whatever else they talk about, whatever the, you know, is, is that a church? Well, I would have to say on the basis of the example that we have in and Acts 2, it's, it's not, because we have what? Not just a description, but we have a prescription of what the church should be devoted to, right? What church life should look like. Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24 um, and Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Okay, here we go. 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day 
drawing near. Right? He's not talking about, oh, well, we meet together at you know, pigskins and just have, 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 have supper. Right? No, no. He's talking about believers meeting together as the church, right? being fed through the teaching and the preaching of the word, right? praying together, fellowshipping with one another, observing those things that Christ has commanded us to observe. Right? As believers, we should not what? forsake the fellowship of the saints, right? And the reality is, is if a person is, is doing that, then, I mean, they might be, you know, in, in the church, like my coworker friend. I mean, he, let's assume he's, he's truly a believer. I mean, he's in the church universal, right? But, but he's forsaking, right, the fellowship of the saints, the gathering of the saints for corporate worship, right? And when he does his thing at home, that's not church. That's just, at best, family devotions. Right? But we're commanded not to forsake the fellowship of the saints. They were also, um, again, I think, committed to fellowship. I know I already said fellowship, but we have a, a different picture of fellowship here. And day by day, attending the temple, breaking bread um, in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Okay, so the, 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 the breaking of the bread, right? The reference to the in the homes here is not talking about the Lord's Supper, okay? This is talking about people within the church, families, if you will, um, having meals together, right? Um, spending time together. It's, it's not just simply that they um, attended the same church, but they were they were they were part of the same church, right? Um, they they did they did life if you want to think of it that way. They 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 did life together, right? Now all of this would be driven by by spiritual fellowship, right? And this would include that spiritual fellowship, but it also might just include you know going hunting together, just you know going going shopping together, going to the salon together or whatever whatever it is that they do right they were they were doing life together right these people right that were in the church it wasn't just simply oh he attends my church or oh, oh, she attends my church yeah i, I know them because they're there they're there on sunday no it was it was more than that it was that they're actually a, a part of my family right um you know i was i was thinking about that and I was just thinking about, you know, people talk about how you talk about relationships and, and friends and family, and people say that, you know, blood's thicker than water, right? Um, well, how thick is the blood of Christ when it comes to uniting his, his bride, right? The relationships that we have as believers with, with one another, right, together should be the strongest and the closest relationships that that we have, right? This is what we saw in the first century church, right? And this is what we should see in the church today. This is what we should be pursuing, right, as the church today. So again, I'm, I'm going to hold off in 43 and 47B. I'm actually going to going to go there to the end, but I want to deal just briefly with with application, right? I mean, I think it's great. I think it's a great description of, of the first century church, the first church, right? We do. We have this great description, which, as I said, is also a prescription for us, what we as a church should, should look like, what we as a church should be, be pursuing. But, but these questions, and I've got several here that I'm going to ask you that I was forced to ask myself as, as, I, as I went through this and prepared for this. And, and it's this. It's what are you, what are you devoted to? Are you devoted to being fed by the word? Right? Are you devoted to hearing of the preaching, the teaching of God's word? Are you devoted to, to fellowship, spiritual fellowship? Right? Are you devoted to the Lord's Supper? How do you be devoted to the Lord's Supper? Listen, we do this as a church the last Sunday of every month. Right? Um, this should be something that you are anticipating. Right? This should be something that you're eagerly looking forward to and contemplating leading up to this day. If you're not doing that, then you probably don't even need to be, be uh, uh, participating in it. Right? Because then it's, it's, it's just emotion. 
right? A motion, not emotion, but a motion for you, an action that you're going through, right? So something as individuals we should be eagerly anticipating, looking forward to. We should be devoted to observing this ordinance, right? We should be devoted to prayer. We should be as individuals praying without ceasing. If you're not living a life of prayer, if you're not praying without ceasing, then 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 what are you doing here when you come and you 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 pray? Do you do you pray or you are you making that list? Am I making that list? I mean, these are questions that I've asked myself. These are questions that I'm asking. I'm asking you. See, here's the thing: if you're not committed, and again, this this first verse 42 is talking about the corporate church, the body together. But if you're not committed to these things privately, right, then you cannot be committed to them corporately, right? Now, now we might not see that, right? I mean. You're here. You're sitting. It looks like you're taking. Looks like you're taking notes. You might you might pray for something, pray through something. You you observe the Lord's Supper, right? But if you're not in your heart committed and devoted to these things, right? Then your actions are just they're, they're hollow, right? They're they're empty, and ultimately they're 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 worthless. And then, and then to the second point, thinking of body life, my question would be, well, what does body life look like for you, I mean, for us, right? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm asking all these questions primarily probably to myself, not trying to pick on anyone, but, but what does body life look like for you? I mean, do you, do you care for others in whatever capacity God enables? I mean, but do you want to? Oh, well, there's never been a need that I've been able to, to satisfy. Now, that might be true, right? But, but do you want to? Are you desirous of that? God, use me to help those who are here, who are part of this, my, my church family, my family. I don't know why we say church family. My family here. I, I want to be used. I want, I want to be a part of this. I want to help. Do you want to? Are you actively engaged in worshiping and fellowshipping with this church? Are you pursuing? Are you pursuing that? They pursued it, right? wasn't just a well. It's Sunday. It's time to go. No, no, no. It was. It was. It was a pursuit in their life. They were actively pursuing worshiping together, fellowshipping with with one another. I, I realize again, it's not going to look like it looked back then. Well, we went to the temple every day. We ate lunch every day. That's because they live next door, all in a whatever society together. We don't. We got people that are spread out by. Miles, right? We've got people that, that, that travel that, that aren't in town some days or that work extra long hours or work overnight. Or do, we understand that. But within that context, are we still pursuing these things to the ability that God has, to the extent and ability that God has, has enabled? Right? We, we should be. And I, I ask these questions, and I ask them to you, and I ask them to myself. It's not that, that, that we're looking for perfection in any of this because it's it's never going to be the case this this side of this side of heaven but but is it a but is it or are these things a, a pursuit and and a desire in your life yeah i mean i want i want to grow in these areas i think i am and i want the same for you but it, but i'm not there again we're not ever going to be there this side of heaven but i want my love for the word to increase right because it's not perfect right and my desire to to study and to, to hear and to be fed. I want that to, I want that to, to increase. I want, I want spiritual fellowship in my life and our lives to, to increase. I want to, I want to, I want to pursue that, right? I do want my anticipation for the Lord's Supper to, because sometimes I get busy and, and I don't think about it until maybe a week before. And I'm like, oh man, it's the end of the month. Communion Sunday's coming, you know. But I should be thinking about all this stuff like, like, like more. And 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 you know, I want, I, I want my prayer life to be stronger and to be better and. There are times when I don't pray when I should pray, and after the fact, it's like hitting a brick wall. What, what was I thinking? I mean, that was an amazing thing that happened, and the first thing I did was call my wife. I mean, how stupid am I? I mean, that was great, by the way. I mean, you should, you should do that. But the reality is, is when that amazing thing happens, right, something that you're just grateful for, the first thing you shouldn't do is call your wife. The first thing you should do is, is praise God for it, right? Now, I want to I grow in that. I don't want, I want you to I want you to grow in that. So I don't I don't ask these questions because I, I want people to, to doubt 
I mean, you know, I mean, it could be the case that you answer no to all of these because you're not in the church, because you're not a, a believer. Um, but for those who are believers, I, I hope asking these questions encourage you to pursue these things, right? To repent where it's needed, but but to pursue these things that we would grow individually in these areas that we as a church body might grow together. You know, if we're not growing individually, right? If no one in here is growing individually, there is no way as a body that we will grow corporately, right? So it has to start individually so it can continue, it can continue corporately. Okay. So the final point here, the growth of the church. I'm going to read 43 and then 47b um, and see if I can make sense of this. Um, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Listen, um, during this this time period, okay, um, God initially used... um, Signs and wonders when he was establishing um, and, and growing the church. And as we go through Acts, we're going to see these, these signs and wonders um, decrease in number to the point where they all but disappear, right? But, but here's what I want you to know. Um, church growth is always, always always the result of the miraculous. And I'm not talking about filling pews, okay? Any fool that's a good entertainer can fill pews, right? When I'm saying that that church growth is always the result of the miraculous, I'm talking about bringing the spiritually dead to life. If you are a believer, you are in the church, right? And the fact that you are in the church is a result of a miracle. God gave you spiritual life. He granted to you repentance and faith. If you're not a believer, understand this. If you're, if you're not a believer, um, you're not in the church right now. Okay? Um, you're, you're with the church, Right? If you're not a believer, that's a good place to be, right? Um, it's not the best place to be. The best place to be is in the church, right? So if you're a believer, if you're not a believer and you're here, you're with Christ's church, you're not in Christ's church. And my desire for you is that you would repent and believe. Right? You, would, you would turn away from sin and, and self, right? And in turning away from sin, that you would turn to Christ. And trust him alone for only what he can provide and only what he can do. And that today would be the day of your salvation. So you would go from being outside the church, right? From being in the church, which is a miraculous work of Christ. So let's do this. Let's, let's pray that, um, that as we think about this first church and what, what they were devoted to and what church life was like for them. Let's pray that, that that would be our desires, right? And that we would grow in those areas uh, from desire and, and from, from practice. We also need to pray, though, that God would guard our hearts and our minds from employing um, maybe activities or desires that, that aren't biblical and aren't right. I think sometimes it's hard. Maybe I'm the only one that struggles with this. Sometimes you drive down the road and you see some other church and there's lots of people there and there's lots of things going on and they have this and they have that. And sometimes it's just like, you know, right? That's, that's not, some of that stuff is just garbage, right? Um, but sometimes, at least I feel that pulling. I'm sure some of us feel that as well, you know. Well, it would be kind of nice if we, you know. Um, and some of that is okay, right? Some of it's not. And so we want to pray for these things and we want to pray that God would, would guard us against sin and God would guard us against doing that which does not please him and does not glorify him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this picture um, that we have of, of your church, your first church and your first century church, Lord. That this, this, this description, these things that they, were, that they were committed to, that they were devoted to, this, this picture of what body life in part looked like. 
Um, we, we thank you for that picture because it's not just a description, but it's also a prescription. This is what, as a church, we should be, we should be pursuing. This is what we should want. This should be the desires of our hearts to, to do these things, to want these things, to look like this, and, and to live like this. And so I pray, God, one, that you would, you would, you would give us conviction where, where it is needed, where there is sin in our lives individually and corporately as a church over these areas, that you would, you would convict us of that, that you would, you would grant repentance from that sin and that we would turn from that and turn to you and the truths of your words that we would we would pursue that which is right and that which is just and that which glorifies you and that our, our love for those things and our desires for those things would, would in, increase. And again, that we would do it primarily for your glory, but we would also do it for the good of your bride, which you, Lord Jesus, died for. We also ask, um, Father, that you would, you would keep us from sin. I, I want to be, personally, I want to be kept from sin. I want that for all of us individually, but I also want that for us corporately as a church, that you would, you would, keep, us, um, you would keep us from sin. Jesus, we thank you for the miraculous works, work that you've done in giving dead men and women life. And in, in doing for us, one, what we could not do for ourselves, living, living a perfect life that we're commanded to live yet unable to live, dying the perfect death that we could never die, you completely and totally satisfied the righteous wrath of God against our sin. And through your granting of repentance and faith, you have placed us into the church, into your church. We thank you, Lord. And we love you, Lord. And we praise you. You, you alone are, are worthy of all praise. It's in your precious, your precious and holy name that we pray.